This show is also brought to you by the amazing Gripedo. What's a Gripedo? It's a think a torpedo, but for your grips. That's literally what this piece of kit is. And I've been using it now for the last six months. I've been working with the guys over at Gripedo and it's blown my mind in many ways in how versatile it is as a tool for grip strength training, how you can really tackle the fingers, you can tackle um, the thumbs, you can tackle rotational strength in the wrist, as well as the standard just holding onto something for as long as you can. It's incredibly versatile. And I've got a full video review that I'm going to put the link to in the show description. I'm also going to put the link to uh, their, it's at Gripido Trainer on Instagram to check out really what this tool and what this product can do. But more importantly, they've decided to give you, as the BJJ Strength podcast listeners, $10 off any purchase over $95 or more. I believe the entry-level model is about $95, $99. So you're going to save money pretty much on any purchase. I've It's one of my staples now in my grip strength training. I've noticed a huge improvement since using it, particularly in the area of the thumb and the rotational strength and overall wrist health as well, I think, um, from this product. So I'm excited for them to be a partner and to sponsor this show. I would love it if you guys have the time. You can, at the very least, follow the, follow those guys on Instagram. And if you're really interested, don't forget to use the code BJJ Strength to get $10 off. Again, that's BJJ Strength to get $10 off any purchase over $95. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. With your host, BJJ Black Belt and physical optimization specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. This is actually the second take at the start of this podcast, guys, um, but we want to keep it natural. Um, So welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength podcast. And today I'm very lucky to have with me uh, Michael Stromsnes. Is is it Dr. Michael Stromsnes? It is, but um, I'm not too worried about the the doctor (laughs) in front. It's, I mean, a lot of names by different people. Some call me Coach Beard. Other call, other calls me Dr. Stromsnes. Some call me Idiot, but... You know, we'll 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 just go from there. So I'm not too worried about the doctor, but it is Dr. Michael Stromsness. <laughs> Perfect. I wanted to get that right. So Michael, um, also AKA the Enlightened Savage. Yes, sir. Um, well, we'll we'll do all your social media stuff later. <laughs> you're a jujitsu purple belt. I am a purple belt. Yeah. Yep. Um, you're also a chiropractor. I am. And we're actually sitting in the. We're, you're the founder of Neutrality. Yes, in, sir. In Carlsbad, and that's where we're sitting today. Really. Yep. Thank you for first of all, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule for us to you know get to speak. I've learned a lot from you know, the workshop I attended with yourself. Mm-hmm but also a lot of the stuff you put online. So I'm really, really excited to speak to you today. Awesome. Well, I'm super glad that I was able to help you in some aspect, and that's the basis of my social media or anything that I put out is really to help people try and improve physically and just you know thrive and live a more complete life. Perfect, perfect. So yeah, we're, we're very glad. I say we, it's only me here, but all the <laughs> listeners are going to be very glad, I think, to hear from you today. Uh, what start, start for me, what does Neutrility mean? Well, Neutrility was basically just a offshoot of the word neutral, 
and um, it, we thought it was a good name to have, you know, just a balance and the life and balance. And so a lot of the things that I do are just, it's stuff needs to be in sequence and stuff needs to be balanced. So, you know, the elephant on the ball, also that, you know, things that seem impossible oftentimes can be done when the right steps are taken. So it was just a play on the word neutrality and on, on neutral and uh, keeping your body neutral, keeping yourself neutral, not overdoing, whether it's exercise, leisure, work. So, you know, just the balance of life. Yeah, I do like the symbol of the big elephant on the, <laughs> on the balancing ball. I'm sure there's a lot of people that train jujitsu that uh, would kind of um, reckon, not, not recognize that, but resonate with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got a lot of stuff to ask you, ask you actually, but what I'd love to get from you to start off with is your background because you were you played uh, college college football. Yes. And when I came to your workshop, you were telling me the story about some of the the crazy numbers you were putting up in, in the weight room, but then the result that had on your body. So oh, basically, yeah. giving people a flavor for your story and how yeah, you got sure. to where you are today, really. So um, I grew up in a rural area, um, not a lot of people, very small town, under 10,000 people, where I thought the only way out was academics and sports. So actually the, the birth of the enlightened savage probably started back when I was in uh, grade school, thinking that the only way to get out of the town was through academics and sports. I got college scholarship for football. I'm not the biggest guy, and I was definitely in a sport with a lot of really big, really strong, really fast guys. So my idea was that I was just going to outwork everybody. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, um, you know, seven days in the weight room, track days, everything, just pushing, pushing, pushing. But I had some guidance, but a lot of my movements, a lot of how I did my squats, my deadlifts, a lot of the other lifts were off so that come senior year, I mean, I was weighing close to 300 pounds. I'm five foot 11. I could still jump up and grab the rim on a basketball, a basketball hoop. But a result of lifting all those weights and putting up some crazy numbers and doing it incorrectly for so long is at 22, anything besides sitting in a recliner hurt. Walking upstairs hurt. Playing football hurt. Um, I had my first uh, kid at 23 playing with my child hurt. So um, that's what eventually led me down the path. Um, I graduated college with a pre-med degree with uh, an emphasis in chemistry. I started working as a bench chemist. It was good work, but I wasn't fulfilled with it. Um, found my way into chiropractic school, um, was trying to heal my body with what rehab and different things that were taught in the school and it just wasn't working. So. I actually got really lucky and had some really great mentors who were and still are some of the best movement specialists, rehab specialists, strength and conditioning people and they took me under their wing and then I also just bothered the crap out of them and really tried to get every ounce of knowledge that they had even when they were annoyed with me I'd probably ask the same question again and again and again just because that thirst for knowledge was originally to heal myself so I didn't hurt. And then with learning all that stuff, I traveled the country, I've traveled the world, just trying to find the best people to learn the best stuff from. I healed myself. I created the stuff that I do um, is called the Triple R system, which is basically taking all the information that I learned from everybody and having a systematic way to go through and uh, rehab from injuries, strengthen your body, just improve yourself or discover that, you know, if you've had a bum knee, or feel like you've had a bum knee since your 20s, 
you probably don't have a bum knee. You just need to learn how to use it correctly. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times you can do things that you thought were past and gone. Yeah. Okay. And so I was going to ask you, I want to, I'm very interested to know what it is you started to change to correct some of the problems you had. Mm -hmm. But I remember you telling me, and I want to give the context to people that you were squatting 500 pounds for 10 reps. Yeah, that was, I mean, 500 for 10 was not an issue. So, um, yeah, that was, I stopped not much over 500 because I didn't see any more benefit from doing more weight. But I mean, I was squatting 500 pounds for a bunch of reps, bench pressing well over 400 for a bunch of reps. Yeah. Um, you know, just a lot of weight. And it just, you know, so for me, it was going through a body weight squat after doing all that would hurt my knees, my low backs, my hips. So the basis for me and how I started to heal myself and what I work with everybody else with is, is setting the foundation. So mm -hmm. for jujitsu, I mean, I know, and I find it very fascinating, but I know a lot of people are jumping on the foot locks, the heel hooks, everything like that, and not passing the guard or retaining a guard. But in jujitsu, realistically, when you start, your base is learning the guard. You're learning yeah. how to pass a guard, how to maintain the guard, learning body positions. I'm still learning. I, we, we all are. <laughs> um, but for the human body, the base, our foundation of movement is proper breathing and proper core activation. Mm -hmm. So is that when, so do you want to name some of the mentors that show, show, showed you some of this stuff? Sure. I mean, we've got Brett Winchester, who is in the St. Louis area um, with Winchester Sport and Spine. He is a... He's a practitioner, but he's also a lecturer that travels the country and the world teaching. He's also, I believe, still on uh, a, he's brought on to help with cases with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I think he is on retainer with anywhere from 12 to 20 college uh, division one baseball and softball programs. Wow. He's he, just a very bright guy. Um, that's also a great practitioner that just really has a passion for um, teaching people as well. Um, Michael Rintala, who is actually in this area, he's in the San Diego area. Um, he is a Cairo for the PGA Tour. Um, he does a lot of the rehab stuff. He's the main guy that brings like the DNS over into the Southern California area. Mm -hmm. um, Matt King, um, Corey Campbell. I mean, that, those are guys that we got. Kentucky and then in Nebraska Tom Lotus is a guy in Chicago um, a lot of the um, practitioners over from the Czech Republic or the Prague School have been instrumental as well so there's just those are just a few that were the original and big influencers but I mean I could spend the whole time wow. just listing people which is great because when I have people that email me or message me and say, hey, do you know somebody here? A lot of times I can point them in the right direction. It's interesting here, you mentioned so many names and you say you could mention so many others. And I, it always strikes me, the people that are successful at what they do, that they definitely don't get there on their own and they're definitely not in isolation. Um, but I was gonna move into, this is that you're saying the foundation is breathing and core activation. And when I attended uh, one of your workshops, I believe that it was breathing mechanics, and mm -hmm. I've ta I talk a lot about breathing on on the stuff that I do. I've got some stuff on on the website, but what you taught was actually very different. Yes, um, 
So I'd love. I think I think it's the perfect place to start. And we, you know, to build, perfect. To build yeah. From there. So with the breathing, um, a lot of people, the breath is just like how long you hold it. You're breathing in. You're breathing out. Mm-hmm. Controlling your breath, which is definitely very important for athletics. Um, definitely in jujitsu, you definitely need to control your breathing, yeah. especially if you have someone putting a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> um, but with breathing, is our core is basically a canister, and through schooling, incorrect training, whatever, we've, we've turned our breath, um, we've inhibited it activating fully. And how we do that is by breathing down with our diaphragm. Mm. So our diaphragm, if you look at a canister, so if you just think like, we'll go with uh, a water bottle that has, and we'll go with the hydroflask, the big, the wide mouth ones that have Um, a circular cap on top. That's the diaphragm that connects all the way around your ribs. Um, It connects to your your spine and it's what separates your lungs um, from your abdominal cavity and and a lot of your internal organs. Um, When that drops and we breathe in correctly and if we breathe down and use it for breath, it pushes down the internal organs and creates interabdominal pressure. Now what like what that's like is if you have a two liter bottle mm-hmm. and you put a balloon on top of it, um, you can you can crush that bottle. Now no air has left that system, but there's no hard end feel. Now if you put a cap on top of that, mm-hmm. so when you squeeze from any side, pressure is pushing back 360 degrees up and down. I mean you can be a pretty fit guy, but you're probably not going to crush that bottle. It's the same way with our abdominal cavity. When that diaphragm drops, it can push out the abdominal muscle musculature, the lumbar dorsal fascia, which is around the back, and then also our pelvic floor. It can push pressure down on that so it can push up and we can create a canister of support. And how this I think ties so beautifully into jujitsu is if you're doing just about any sweep in jiu-jitsu, for the most part, you're trying to bring somebody up on top of you mm-hmm. and get them off their balance. And a perfect sweep is usually when your back is, as you roll through, your back is flat on the ground, your legs aren't too extended, your arms aren't too extended. So if you were to do just a simple scissor sweep um, and extend your chest up as much as you can so your low back is completely off the ground when you roll through that, that scissor sweep is gonna suck and it's gonna be weak. You're not gonna feel strong with that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you pull your ribs down and they're in level with your pelvis and now you have a canister in one solid piece and you do that scissor sweep, if you do the technique correctly, it's gonna feel really easy because you put your body in the position to allow the right muscles to activate. Mm -hmm. So that's the same thing with the breathing. The breathing allows us to drop the diaphragm activate that core ideally, activate the pelvic floor so we can keep our chest and our pelvis stacked over one another so that we can recruit as much muscle fibers in our arms, our legs, and our back to create as much um, force as possible. Mm. And the other, I, I like to use the example of a butterfly sweep. So when you do a butterfly sweep, uh, your leg on the bottom, you've got the, your leg on the bottom, which, mm-hmm. is the, which is pushing off the floor, and then you've got your leg, which is hooked, and then yes. that, that becomes a lever. And on top of the stuff that you're talking about, the, that the transfer of the force from the ground through your body into mm-hmm. the hook mm-hmm. is going to be much greater yes. when you've got your core activated. Probably. 100%. And if you look, so even if you look at that sweep, um, you look at like a fastball pitch, yeah. if you look at like a... Um, if you look at like a turn on the top um, in surfing, like a cutback turn, those movement patterns 
are just about the same. Like the arm's in a little bit different position, the foot's in a little bit different position, but humans only have so many movement patterns mm -hmm. and the same ideal movement patterns that creates a great fastball pitch are the same movement patterns that create a perfect sweep. Now all these practitioners, whether it's baseball, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's surfing, the reason that the techniques and skills came to the way they did was because they were the most efficient. Yeah. There's a reason that a good solid sweep looks pretty much identical no matter who's doing it. I mean their levers are a little bit longer, but there's a reason why that technique works and it works for everybody because it's the ideal movement of the body. So by getting that ideal movement of the body stronger, that can immediately improve your jiu-jitsu. To maximize your leverage in your Exactly, your exactly. I mean, you're, you're a pretty long guy. Yeah. Um, you, you have a little bit longer levers than me. Um, and so for you, staying connected is gonna be incredibly beneficial because if not, you've got a lot of force to keep out with the arms. Yes, you can create different levels with levers with your arms and your legs, but if your chest or back are in the wrong position, then you're not gonna be able to benefit from the fact that from your the tips of your fingers down to your toes, you've now got like a, a nine foot lever if you're connected through the core. When I, when I attended the workshop and pulling the ribs down was yes. something that yourself and, and Megan was with you and you kept on saying, you're pulling the ribs down and I've, I've had poor, what I thought was poor thoracic mobility for mm -hmm. a long time and not mm -hmm. great overhead position. And it's still not brilliant, mm -hmm. but just those basic, those basic ideas really changed things for me. But the point I wanted to actually get to was when I started doing these exercises and part of my warmth now every time and actually not every day, but most mm -hmm. days is some of the drills that you showed. It, it was like my body felt alive. And I, I, I consider myself, uh, you know, a pretty strong person. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people have seen the videos of stuff that I do, and you know, I've, I've looked after my body. Mm -hmm. But then when I started training my body to activate the core in the way that that you were showing, my movements on the mat felt a little bit, a little better, a little stronger. I've, when people would, would kind of grab hold of me to try to move me, I felt like I had a more a more solid base and a more solid foundation. So mm -hmm. I can vouch for you know how this stuff really works and one of one of the things i wanted to get you to clarify i know the answer mm -hmm. i think but mm -hmm. to make sure people understand the, the kind of breathing you're talking here is not the valsava maneuver mm -hmm. if that's the correct term that's that's different where you actually well, hold the breath well and and like the valsava what that will do is it will force the diaphragm down mm -hmm. so that will create you know it, it can and will create an inner abdominal pressure if you're doing it correctly the breathing that I'm doing, saying to do is as we're breathing in and out, that diaphragm is moving up and down and creating different amounts of tension without holding the breath. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I've done a few jujitsu um, competitions and matches, and I mean, I feel like I have pretty good stamina sometimes, but I, I'm not holding my breath for eight minutes. So if I need <laughs> no. to, if I need to have ideal activation, I'm not going to hold my breath, run forward, try to do a takedown. <gasps> gasp for another breath, try and do my pass or whatever I'm doing. So it's the, the breathing is, yeah, we're breathing down. A lot of people, um, what closest resembles it, what people are more familiar with would be like belly breathing and yoga yep. or something like that. But with a lot of that time, a lot of times with that, people are just focusing on pressing the stomach out like on the midline, the umbilicus, when 
the core actually goes pretty low. It goes all the way down. It, it stops about pubic symphysis. So it's pretty far down where a lot of people, um, even really fit people, you'll see like a line across their stomach. Like they're in great shape. They have a four pack, six pack, whatever. But you'll see a line at about belly button level or a little bit lower. And then there's no definition in the core below that. And that's because the ideal breathing and core mm. activation isn't there. And those people are going to be the people that will have, no matter what they do, they're like, oh, I have chronic tightness in my low back. I, my hips feel like they're impinging all the time. My knees hurt. Yeah. Exactly. Because it just, it spreads throughout the process. But yeah, it's, and it is kind of difficult to explain um, how the breath is done. But basically, as you breathe in, mm -hmm. if you're doing it correctly, you'll feel slight expansion throughout your whole abdominal cavity. Let's see, probably six inches below your belly button all the way down and it'll feel like it's pressing outward your stomach yeah. muscles and you'll get, you'll get some slight tension in your stomach muscles all the way around um, as you do it. I, yeah, the, the analogy for me of the, the two liter bottle, I started to call it crushing the canister. Um, just kind of something that worked, like almost creating, making your stomach like a, like a making your stomach like a steel drum yes. and it's and it makes it makes an incredible it makes an incredible difference actually um so in terms of we talked about not holding the breath so when you're actually doing the breathing and you're training jiu-jitsu when you're competing um are you are you focused on the amount of breath you take in or are you just leaving that happen, happen naturally no so when when you're doing when you're doing something sports specific so like when you're doing jiu-jitsu the if you're focusing on how much breath you're taking in or trying to activate your core like that, unless you're 10 steps ahead of the guy that you're going against, you're going to be slowing yourself down and you're really not going to be able to do it in that mm. in-game pace. So it's more about when you're training the breathing and the core activation, it's doing it outside of the gym. Yeah. It's doing it to where it becomes your automatic pattern because originally it was. So the more times we're pinging the brain with doing it, so you don't have to do it for a half an hour, 10 times a day. It's whenever you're sitting in the car, whenever you're working out, whenever you're doing something like that, practicing the breathing, eventually you'll notice, and I'm sure if you've been practicing it, you'll notice that you've done it without thinking. Yeah. Or you'll notice you're doing it sometimes as you're setting up and you won't even think about it until you realize you did it. As you're setting up for a sweep, you'll notice you probably, without thinking about it, you take a breath in, your core activates, and you go with the sweep. Because you've practiced it. You've practiced movements while you're lifting weights. So as you're doing that, when you're working out outside of a live competition, you're training your nervous system and your neuromuscular connections to do that when you're not thinking about it. We need it to become subconscious and strong when we're really focused on it. That way, when we're in sport, when we're not thinking about it, our body's just activating better. Do it, doing it automatically. Because when someone's yes. trying to strangle you, there's it's a, it's a little, yeah. <laughs> if you're focused on the depth of breath that you're taking, instead of stopping the hand that's crossing over, you're gonna be in trouble. You're not gonna have a good day. <laughs> I, I, I say a lot about po the same, same same thing about posture. That if you can't maintain good posture on a day-to-day -day basis, or when you're lifting weights or whatever exercise you're doing. You've got no chance in hell of maintaining good posture when someone's actively trying to push your head down. Oh, 100%. And, and the core activation ties incredibly closely to that. Yeah, and, and that's, and so the training, because a lot of people can often handle 
much more load and all of us can handle more load than what we can do ideally. So yeah. by training and focusing and um, I like to do the 70-30. 70% uh, of the time, you gotta stay within your functional capacity. Mm -hmm. What you can do ideally. Because whatever we train, we become strong in. So if we train in improper positions, we're gonna get strong in improper positions. So if we train in positions, like say where you're doing overhead squats, and you train in a position where your shoulders rounded a little bit forward and you're in a little bit kyphosis, you're gonna get really strong anytime your hands above your head with your shoulders rolled forward and yourself in kyphosis. So anytime you're reaching over your head, whether it's to grab someone, mm. uh, to grab a gi, to come up on a single leg, whatever it is, your default will be to go into that improper position. Yeah. So even though it might seem like, oh, I'm regressing, I'm not lifting as much weight, I'm not doing this, you'll benefit much more from taking the load down and doing it ideally 70% of the time. And with that, there's 30% that you can still go, well, I need to get more strength, so I'm doing heavier weight. Yeah. There's plenty of times that I do heavier weight and I know my form's not perfect because I've gone past what I can control an ideal position mm. for. But since most of the time I'm trying to train in as most ideal position as possible, I'm not afraid of being hurt in those positions, even if the weight is significantly higher than what I normally use. You call, you put a post up the other day and it was, was it planned failure? Planned failure, yeah. Yeah, and that, is that a similar thing where, okay, for these sets, I'm gonna push myself a little bit harder, but I'm gonna use it to identify where the problems are and then well, go back and correct yeah, it? Yeah, so that's, that's a little bit different than okay. just going above where your uh, capacity is. It's, yeah, I was going above my capacity and going enough to where whatever my issues are are drawn out. So when it's lighter weight, when it's lighter weight, that's not a difficulty for us. A lot of times, it's really tough to see where we're really where where our compensations are. Mm. So, for I, it was a bells up kettlebell press, and I was feeling off with my right shoulder. And as you go through, and I, I did three different weights. And as you go through, someone with really trained eyes can point out probably all the issues on my first press. Mm -hmm. But as you go heavier and heavier those become more and more apparent and that also shows okay if i'm that's it was only the i think the heaviest one maybe a 50 pound kettlebell but if i'm going in that bad of position with a 50 pound kettlebell um i mean i'm not a light guy i'm going against some big guys when i roll in jujitsu if i'm trying to single arm press someone that's 200 plus pounds away from me i'm going to be loading my shoulder loading my neck loading my arm incorrectly that over hundreds and hundreds of reps or as we're practicing or live rounds or whatever, that's what's gonna eventually cause me to possibly have an injury mm -hmm. and a decrease in performance is that improper use. So yes, I, I will go beyond what I can do. And for myself, I'm filming it with other people. I'll load them more to draw out what their insufficiencies are yeah. and then create a program to strengthen um, the things that we're seeing once we go over what someone can handle. But it's a, you, it, you're making conscious effort or it's very purposeful and it's not all the time trying to push yourself no yeah. definitely not yeah so when you when you're talking about the 70 30 rule and 70 percent of it is doing you know, ideal movements ideal movement patterns is there a percentage of one rep max maybe that you use to guide how much resistance to use in that in it's, that period it's simply it may be 
you might be able to, if your squat is on point, mm. you might be able to go up to like 89, 90%, 95% mm. your one rep max with perfect form. Now you said I have some overhead issue. Yeah. So with you, your overhead issue, your 70, 30 might be, you don't do anything overhead above 50% your one rep max yeah. for those 70% because you can't do it ideally okay. or close enough to ideal where you're like, that's good. Like if you're looking at the video and it's causing you to cringe a little bit, yeah. you're probably not in that range <laughs> that you want to be doing it. Because if you're like, ooh, yeah, I'm twisted and my hip's in the wrong spot and that's that's where, so there's there's no definitive like stay within 65% of your one okay. rep max. It's it's And it's going to be different depending on the lifts. Like if, so if you can do absolute perfect push-ups and then you can weight yourself with 90 pounds on your back or whatever with push-ups and you can still maintain perfect position go ahead and do as many 90 pound plus push-ups or pull-ups if your yeah. pull-ups are ideal um go ahead and do pull-ups go ahead and do weighted pull-ups but even with pull-ups a lot of people can do them but their activation isn't good and someday and it, it varies day to day like some days i'll go in and be like oh i feel like well, everything's firing everything's good I can hammer out 20 pull-ups with perfect form. Mm -hmm. There's other days I grab the bars, my shoulders shrug, and I'm in a terrible position where I'm throwing bands on, and I may still do 20 reps, but I'm decreasing the load so that I'm not just doing 20 reps to do 20 reps. I'm mm -hmm. doing it with purpose to train the right muscles. Because if your shoulders are shrugging, your scapulas are winging while you're doing pull-ups, you're not training the muscles you're trying to train, and you're, again, getting strong in compromised positions. People like to talk about the ego, right, in jiu-jitsu a lot. And I think, for me, it was quite a big lesson fairly recently over the last couple of years where, let's take the Turkish get-up as an example. Mm -hmm. Let's say the heaviest I could do is, say, 48 kilos. Mm -hmm. If I ever dropped them below that 48 kilos, I'd feel like I was failing. Mm -hmm. And you could you could translate that to other lifts. Let's say, you know, your squat is, I don't know, 150 kilos. Mm -hmm. And particularly if you train in a gym, mm -hmm. it may be, for a lot of people, just to, to then go into the gym and go, do you know what, today I'm only going to do 75 kilos. And I think mm -hmm. I think the ego must play a big role in that and, and, and learning that lesson that sometimes stepping backwards well let's not say stepping backwards because you're Training not smarter you know well i was, I was going to say the weight that you lift is mm -hmm. not the only measure of success so redefining no. success maybe and to go back with that is let's look at um because training let's look at guys that that's their sport yeah so their sport is lifting as much weight as possible um so one of one of the guys that um I worked with a little bit and anybody in the strength and conditioning, um, I was at uh, one of the DNS courses with him, was Chris Duffin. And this guy is an absolute monster. I'm I've, One of his feats was he did like 850 pounds on the deadlift for 30 reps or something stupid like this. <laughs> this guy is a freaking gorilla. Um, he's a very bright guy as well. Um, an engineer, creates a lot of um, strength equipment, um, but he was constantly injuring himself. He was a guy that was pushing for world records, getting world records, being one of the top guys in his weight class, being one of the lightest guys to deadlift and squat over certain numbers. So he was just, competition-wise, he was killing it, but he was injured a lot. So um, with some of the things is him realizing that his ribs were flared, that he needed to activate his core better, and he took those same principles 
and he's teaching them to power lifters um, all the time and they're getting great results he's feeling better he's not injured he's lifting more weights than he was when he was younger um, so that's one example of someone that you know and but but that's the thing is this guy can lift more than any of us or almost all of us would ever dream yeah but he'll go back and just do body weight movements or he'll do mm. way lighter like 50%. So if, if your squat is 900 pounds, like it's all relative too. Yeah. If your squat's 900 pounds, if he's doing reps with 400, people are like, oh yeah, but he's still doing reps with 400 pounds. But it's like, yeah, but that's under, that's like under 50% of his one rep yeah. max, but yeah. that's what they're doing. Um, another good, um, uh, another good friend of mine, Andrew Serrano up in um, Orange County is I was, I, I, he's, he's a really good trainer, um, but he, he's a power lifter as well. He came to some of the DNS courses. And the first one that I saw him at, this guy just had way too much activation. His erectors, a ton of anterior pelvic tilt. Um, he couldn't get past a certain um, lift um, max. Activation in the erectors is the, spine, the spinal, spinal muscles. muscles. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and just like the pelvis tilted where you'd see somebody where you say they have like a lot of lumbar lordosis yeah. or their, their backs just at the bottom is really caved in. Yeah. Um, but as he implemented a lot of the stuff and this guy's a really bright guy too. And he, he does this a lot with the people he trains. Um, I think I just saw, I think a big goal for him was to get for a while was to get to a 600 pound squat or something along those lines. And I, I may be mis, mis, uh, representing the numbers, but he's feeling better, he's stronger, and I, I just saw him post, I think he hit 600 for three reps. So, I mean, it's with guys that are doing, this is their focus, when they focus on moving better and loading ideally and pulling it back and fixing the issues, then their progress, their, their ceiling's much higher. So that's the ego thing is a lot of times we feel like, oh, well, I'm taking a step back. Okay, but if you're staying right where you're at and your ceiling isn't being raised, if you're if you're not improving, then what you're just staying stagnant with doing all the old things. So taking a step back and training, and it is, it's taking a step back from the weight you're doing and retraining your body how to do things correctly, to do them more ideally. It'd be the same thing as if you're a top player and yep. you're a great top player. You yep. got great takedowns. You are really good at stopping people from pulling guard, and then some. For some reason, whether it's an injury, whatever, you can't play top anymore. Yeah, you got to be a guard player. Well, if you keep trying to play top, and there's something stopping you from being a top player, not going to be good. But yeah. if everything you've done has been based on being a great top player, my guess is your guard game is going to be a little bit weaker. So yes, you would have to take a step back, mm -hmm. but. Say it was an injury that wasn't allowing you to be a top player. Like maybe you tore your hamstring bad yeah. and it's still recovering and yeah. you're just not dynamic and explosive. Well, as you really get good at that guard, and I'm just trying to I'm relate it back to jujitsu, as you really get good at playing guard and going over the fundamentals of guard and getting really good there and your hamstring's healing and say it took a year and a half to heal and then you got back to normal. Even though you're not playing top game, because your understanding of jujitsu and movement and how to play guard improves so much, your top game's going to improve. It bleeds into other areas of exactly. your jujitsu. Yeah. Exactly. So moving better is moving better and being stronger in good positions 
it will immediately translate into jujitsu and it'll immediately translate into how much you can train because if you're loading your body incorrectly when you're doing jujitsu you're going to have more inflammation your recovery time is going to be slower you're not going to be able to train as many times in the week you're not going to be able to go as full Mm. go as many times in the week so it's it's a positive in all the aspects besides maybe taking a little bump on your ego for a second yeah you're going to it's it's saying okay i want to be able to train harder i want to be able to train more often i Mm -hmm. want to be able to recover faster so those are all things that come with loading your body better so why do you think that loading the body better um you know i'm I'm focusing very much on form and function in the movements you're training has an impact in terms of the recovery and your ability to train more. I, I, I've got some ideas, but I yeah, want to get yeah. your opinion. So, if we are loading our body, if we're in a good position, our joints are in the ideal position, mm-hmm. our muscles then get put in a position that they can create the most force across our joints in an ideal way. It's yeah. called a centrated joint. If we have a centrated joint when we do anything. Now, when we don't have a centrated joint, so say our knees are in a funky position, our elbows are in a bad position, then we load our body incorrectly. What that does is one, is it causes inflammation, because when we load our body unideally, and mm-hmm. anytime we work out, it causes inflammation. When we, when we train, we're breaking down muscle fibers, we're, it's causing some inflammation. Mm-hmm. But when we load our body incorrectly, we get, we get more inflammation, we also get pain signals. When we mm-hmm. get pain, our body shuts down some of our muscles and causes even more inflammation. Would these be pain sig- signals that the body is putting out but we probably couldn't even pick up because they're... Sometimes you will and sometimes you yeah. won't. As in if you're overtraining in an incorrect position and your elbow starts hurting every time you do presses, yeah, that's a signal that says you're loading incorrectly and you've loaded incorrectly a lot yeah. and now I'm inflamed. Yeah. And that's another thing is if you feel like you're recovering really slow, mm. you may be just training incorrectly because the body will adapt to basically anything we do, especially if we're doing it correctly and we're recovering correctly. And that's a big piece too is load. it's loading ideally and then recovering correctly because mm-hmm. it's really, 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 really hard to overtrain. And that may seem funny to people. People okay. are like, oh, I train all the time and I, I tell people they're overtraining. It's really, 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 really hard to overtrain if you're recovering correctly, okay. if you have the correct nutrition, mm. if you are sleeping enough. But if you take away the right amount of sleep, the right amount of nutrition, mm. and the right amount of recovery, then it becomes very easy to overtrain. You're not really overtraining, you're under recovering. Are there, you mentioned sleep and nutrition being you know, really critical in terms of terms of recovery i think that's going to be obvious for most people but what are the other elements of recovery that you might look at with your clients or in your own training to help aid that um so i do a lot of contrast therapy so hot and cold you know just keep the body moving and flushing and the hot as you're in say a sauna is going to increase the blood flow everywhere through your body it's going to relax the tension on things um it's going to, because our, our blood is bringing the nutrients to the body. So mm-hmm. if we have good nutrition, we're doing the sauna, we're sweating, it's helping keeping everything moving. But if we're not staying well enough hydrated or we're not eating correctly, then we don't have the fuel to get to the muscles. And then I'll do um, cold therapy where I just have a big chest freezer that I fill with water and I yeah. go down and get in that. Um, with ice? 
Um, no, I just turned the freezer on. It's an actual, right, okay. it's an actual freezer okay. that I plug in and it's sitting on my porch because getting all those bags of ice was getting to be too much of a hassle. Your and wife lets you do that, leave the freezer on the porch? I mean, I don't know <laughs> if she likes it, but I do it. Um, but it's, uh, it's, I think it was, she, she would rather have that than have me sitting in the tub with buckets of ice and throwing all the plastic bags all over the place all the time so yeah she lets me i guess um (laughs) i don't know i just kind of did it not so much ask for permission but you know ask for forgiveness later but um yeah so i'm doing sauna and ice every day um i get massage regularly i get soft tissue i go to other chiropractors i get adjusted i do rehab mobility work um and basically it's it's also like listening to your body like if you're constantly if your muscles are constantly tight and you're not doing anything about it you're not recovering well enough if you're constantly sore it's either you're not sleeping enough you're not eating enough protein or you're not giving yourself enough time to recover between what you're doing like you can train a lot and not be sore eventually if you're doing the right things now if you've never trained jiu-jitsu before and you start doing two a days plus lifting weights you're going to be sore no matter what you do. Mm. But the human body's ability to adapt to basically any stimulus we give it, I mean, if you look at um, most of the time throughout history, people worked manual jobs 12 hours a day. Yeah. So training jujitsu two to three hours twice a day and then lifting, that's still not up to what a lot of people have done basically throughout history to survive. Yeah. So our bodies are capable of it, but it's if you're doing all that, are you sleeping 8 to 12 hours a night? Are you eating enough of the right things? Are you fueling the machine? So um, that would be my take on that. I listened to, it was Joe Rogan's interview with Farah Sahabi, uh, George St. Pierre's coach. Mm-hmm. And he said something similar to what you're saying. In His, his belief was that when you train, you shouldn't be sore the next day. You should you, you're pushing just to the point where you're not going to feel sore the next day, and that's you know that's very vague, and obviously mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but but the sound of what you're saying is that do, do you think it's possible to get to the, you, you do think it's possible to get to that point where you can you are pushing your training, but with mm-hmm. the right approach to the training, the right recovery, actually the soreness should be next to minimal. Yeah, and then especially if you're leaving the ego at the door and not holding it. Not letting someone, not fighting a submission too long in training to where you're hurting yourself. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that. But, um, and so, and even more recently, the more I've been diving into it as well, is because, you know, high school, college, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, if you train, you're going to be sore. If you're working hard enough, you're going to be sore. And I mean, you can really absolutely murder yourself in one particular area and make yourself sore. But, I mean, and, and you brought up Joe Rogan, some of the guys that he's had on, like uh, Cameron Hayes. The guy runs a marathon every single day. Every single day. <laughs> 26 miles. Yeah. He's also in the gym hammering weights. He also works. He also hunts. Um, and I'm not talking about he's running 26 miles at a 10-mile pace. This guy's doing like seven or sub-seven-minute miles, and he does it throughout the day, and he also lifts weights, and he also... so. The, and, and if you look at some of the ultra marathoners or some of the people that run stupid amounts of marathons in a year or ultra marathons or people that, I mean, 
I mean, you can go on Instagram right now and probably find 10 different people that are squatting every single day. Yeah. Where a lot of us are like, if we squat, we're sore for three days. Yeah. Well, one, we might be doing it wrong. And two, we might not do the volume enough with squats to where our body has adapted to not make us sore when we're training or we're, or we're just doing too much of isolated movements and not recovering correctly with it. Yeah. So it, it, that, that takes a long time though, right? To build up to that level. Cameron Hayes is an extreme example. Who's the, uh, Dave Goggins is another Dave person, Goggins, yeah, yeah. Who does a lot of these ultra marathons, but that's a, it's, it's an, an extreme example, but that takes an incredible amount of time for someone to build up to that level. Is what I think. Yes. I think yes and no. Okay. I think consistency is going to go a long way. And I think a lot of people lack clarity on how consistent they really are with things. Mm. Like I would, so the question I would ask you is you train, how often do you train? Um, A typical week for me would be strength and conditioning uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then jujitsu at least four sessions a week. So my, my, my jiu-jitsu would be in the morning mm-hmm. for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, then Thursday, Friday. Strength and conditioning is now at the moment. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoon. And then typically every morning I'll do some kind of mobility, mm-hmm. core activation, glute activation, that kind of stuff. And then I, I'm always doing, you know, a little bit of foam rolling mm-hmm. here, a little bit mm-hmm. of stretching mm-hmm. here. So that's, that's a typical a typical week for me. And I'll also... At the moment, usually twice a week, I'll cycle to jujitsu, which is mm-hmm. it's only three miles. It's a couple mm-hmm. of hills, mm-hmm. so it's less intense. Mm-hmm. That's roughly a typical okay. week for me. So, and I mean, that's a good amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the time aspect with that, what I'd ask you is, have you missed a meal this week? No, no. I so you're, you're you're tied in perfectly with your meals. Pretty. Good. I I I do intermittent fasting. Okay, but I do get. I would say the same, if not more, calories in the eight-hour window. But I'm I work at home as well, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm religious about. Okay, that well, yeah. and that's and that's and that's actually a rarity. Yeah. With and I mean, even a lot of people that are training, they're like, oh well, I skipped lunch. You yeah. skipped lunch. Well, did you make up for it? Because I mean, there is a lot of there is a lot of research that shows, um, and actually, but high level is meal timing. High level athlete meal timing is a little bit more important, or for performance. But for the most part is the amount of your micros and macros throughout the day. As long as you're getting the right mm-hmm. amount, you're going to be okay. But if you are training, and, and, and I've seen it with a lot of high-level jiu-jitsu um, practitioners and competitors, is because they're running all over the place to train with different people and doing different things like this, and they don't eat enough, or yeah. they miss a meal, or they don't drink enough water that day, or they get four hours of sleep because they're out hanging out with friends. Yeah. That's not consistency. Yeah. So say you have, well, I was really great for four days. Well, if you're training two to three times a day and you're not getting eight to 10 hours of sleep, you're not eating perfectly, you're not, and per, by perfectly, just getting enough of the macros and micronutrients that you need. I'm not saying everything has to be ideal. Just at a high level. Uh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're not, you're not going to reach your potential. Or you're not, because mm. some of those people, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in. And they train hard, but a lot of times it's the other pieces that they're missing on yeah. to where they get themselves an injury or they don't, or they can't go all out or their conditioning suffers because they don't have the fuel to push. They haven't recovered enough from the past three days because mm. they've, they need, maybe they need 10 hours of sleep a night and they're getting six. Now our bodies will perform really, will perform really well on six. 
it'll adapt to it, but you're not recovering ideally, you're not gaining the strength that you could ideally, you're not able to train as hard or as fast as you want, so you are just, it's, it's that diminishing return that you can work harder and get less out of it. And it's not like, oh, well, I've, the last, out of the last 30 days, I've had 15 days where I've been real good and 15 days where I've been really bad. You're, you're not at that high level. Yeah. So especially high level jujitsu, like guys that are trying to make this their living, yeah. like with com- competition or they're really trying to compete with some of those guys. Cause I do that. I don't, I don't train, I don't eat and I don't sleep like someone that's a high level competitor that's trying to make that their living Mm. but i like to sign up for the tournaments with those guys and test my medal against them yeah but if i was trying to make a living doing that if i was if that's how i fed my family you best believe i'm training twice a day i'm lifting weights i'm my meals i mean i've got a pack downstairs that i bring my meals in right now Mm -hmm. but a lot of those guys aren't doing that you know they're and they'll get away with it to a point when they're younger but that very top, that very high level where just, you know, percentages make the difference. And it's a percent. Think about it. If, if they've been training since they were a kid, which a lot of these guys now are, if you've been training for 10 years and for 10 years you've been doing everything perfect, but the guys you're going against have been 50%, Yeah, that's a lot of difference over 10 years. Yeah. And I mean... the. All the black, almost all the black belt even guys. Ten, even a ten percent difference. A ten percent difference is big. Yeah. A ten percent difference is a ten-time world champion versus a never-time world champion. Because mm-hmm. at that very high level, um, I mean, I go to the worlds every year. I love it. And I go to the black belt finals almost every single year. But the difference between the first place guy and and I mean, yes, there are people that are phenoms, but realistically, the difference between the first place guy. And the guy that's not podium is not that much. Yeah. It's not that much. Yeah. But, and even with some of those guys, are they, even the top guys, are they at their top potential? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Because the most talented guys, the most naturally talented guys are probably only ever, most of them are competing at maybe 85, 90% their their potential because 80 to 90% their potential beats everybody else potential right and their, their top potential that's yeah. something I want to get your opinion on and there's this, this always happens and I, I'm seeing this happen at the moment at my school where um, we're leading up to the Pan Ams and the training on the mat is you know is increasing in, ten, in intensity perfect right it's the right time to do that mm-hmm. for the training on the mat but what I see a lot of people then doing is jumping into the gym two well, what, two months away from the Pan Ams roughly no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we are. <laughs> Believe it. It's, two, it's about two months. Um, and they're jumping into the gym for the first time in about 12 months or maybe mm-hmm. longer to try, mm-hmm. to try to get in into shape. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is that you've got to plan your training out. And if you're jumping into the gym two months out from a, a top a top competition there there are exceptions. There are, there are stuff that you, there, there is stuff that you should do. Mm-hmm. But trying to you know to lift heavy to get in shape and to go really intensely in the gym at that point in time for me is the wrong way to do it but I'm, it's a very long-winded way to ask you for someone to reach or start to push their physical potential how long do you think that really takes for someone that's coming in let's just say you know a, a fairly normal activity background to how long do you think it would take to get someone close to their potential 
Physical potential. Physical potential. So with that, it, it depends on a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. like what we talked, are they going to do everything perfectly? Are they going to leave their ego at the door and do the base work first? Devil's advocate, this person comes in, they're the perfect student. Perfect student. Um, and Jeanette, are they physically gifted? So are they someone that seems like they're pretty strong naturally, they're pretty athletic naturally, their body responds to stuff? Maybe some, uh, someone who's average. They, average. They, they played you know, a little bit of school sports, but okay. at a college level. You know, they, they, they maybe go to the gym now and again, but they, they don't train like an athlete. So with someone like that, and they haven't, and they're like, I'm all in. I want to be the best I can be. Yeah. Um, I would say to reach their potential, like physically, like what they are going to be able to put out on the mat, you're probably looking at two years. Yeah. Okay. That would be my, um, because it's first you're going to have to have the adaptation for their body learning how to do things well and loading. They're going to have to gain strength with that. Um, and then I just say, like, look at, is look at um, Olympic athletes. Yeah, their programming and training, and these are the guys that are already high, high, high level. Like, and, and we'll. So I, I think a perfect example is when Michael Phelps decided to do the Olympics, and it was like two years out, and people were like, or it was less than two years out, and people were freaking out. He's not going to have time to get ready. He's not going to have time to get to his peak level. Yeah. So I mean, and I mean, arguably, one of the greatest athletes in their chosen sports ever. And, you know, he came back and he won some golds, but, you know, he's going to do that. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but also it's, it's, it's part of like, I mean, his workouts are ridiculous. Like he's trying to do everything perfect. He's grueling. He's gifted, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, people are looking at, and, and, and the human body is not that much different depending on what sports you're doing. But if you look at that, like if people are freaking out when Mike Fel- Michael Phelps is um, saying he's going to do the Olympics and it was under, I think it was under two years. I might be misremembering. Roughly two years. Yeah, but say, we yeah. say roughly two years and people are like, is he going to have time to get to peak performance? Or or look at, uh, or most professional sports. So yeah. we'll look at most professional sports. People that are getting paid to do this. Mm-hmm. Every single professional sports uh, team has preseasons. Yep. So before the season gets going, these are guys that this is their job, this is their living, this is what they're doing regularly. And how long would a typical preseason be for, say, an NFL team? Three-ish, four months. Okay. Yeah, because you have you have the camps, then you have the preseason, then you have preseason games, and then so yeah, you're looking at, and I mean baseball is even even more, I think. So yeah. I mean it's, and these are guys that this is their job, this is their living, and they're doing months at a time to get ready. To play games at the highest level, and that's off a base of decades, decades of, of training and preparation, and, yeah, of prepping to be good at what they're doing, yeah. So yeah, like I, I would say, I would say two years done correctly, you could see someone reaching their potential. Now, in a year, could they be light years ahead of where they were when they came in? Sure, but that's also where like someone even if you're new to jujitsu and you're like i want to be super super good at this i want to be better than everybody you can you can still win tournaments in three months six months a year Mm. but if you're focusing on building a program to be your best and not trying to rush it and not trying to get too strong or not trying and or not trying to get your progress too fast um you should have a steady increase if your program is correctly for you know easily probably two years like you can continue to get stronger continue to push your cardio continue to get your technique better so yeah i would say 
one to two years is probably a pretty, I would say almost um, not even aggressive window. Because you're looking at, when you look at professional athletes mm. that are doing it, you know, they have 10 years of preparation for it or more. They've yeah. played it for a long time. Like it's a rarity to find someone that, it, well, even we'll say like the NFL, it's the NFL players, it's a rarity to find guys that started playing football their senior year or even were playing other sports and then transitioned into football. And there's some that have made it and done just fine. But even there's been quite a few high-level rugby players, mm -hmm. which you know these guys are incredible athletes themselves. Even some of the top rugby players have had a very difficult time transitioning that have tried to transition to the NFL because they've been so... They're, they're Athletically-wise, those sports mix pretty well. Yep. But I, it's I, it's that skill training and that difference in those years of of other sports. I would say I think the movement patterns and the attributes mix very very well mm -hmm. between rugby and football. But the different one of the big differences between rugby and football is the active playtime mm -hmm. in rugby. Oh yeah, and I think that that ability for a three hundred pound lineman, I'm going to say lineman. Mm -hmm. I don't know the positions yep, very you well. Got it. How quickly they can move over five to ten five to ten meters yep. and the power they can generate is going to be much greater than a lot of the rugby players who are running the whole running whole match. much further so yeah. i think there's but the skill yeah the skill yeah. the skill piece is important as well so it's interesting you say two years i was going to say uh, my guess is maybe a little longer i was going to say about three years yeah I, but, but roughly yeah i i would say but that's but but it's also it's also what you said too they're the perfect student so if you do everything perfect for two years, <laughs> yeah. everything perfect. And I mean, you sit down and your game plan is to peak in two years. So if you came into me and you said, I wanna be as strong and as fit and move as ideally as I can, I'm gonna come in and see you four or five times a week. I'm gonna do my homework. I'm gonna eat perfectly. I'm gonna do everything like that. And I wanna peak in two years. I am licking my chops <laughs> because we can create the absolute perfect program to where we're not rushed we don't have a deadline i mean we will have goal deadlines but it's like we can focus on making sure the base is perfect yeah and then we can build on that and build and build and build and build and build where it's not like even even like high school athletes or college athletes that come in to work with me they're like okay season's over club starts in two months fix me and i'm like Okay, well, first of all, how often are you coming in? Yeah. Um, but, but, but that's the thing is that if someone's doing stuff perfectly, the body responds really quick. And there's there, the less in the time. So that's the thing. Two to three years, I, I don't think there's an issue with saying that, like someone reaching their physical potential in that time. And it also depends on age. Uh, yeah. Are you a full-grown, like, are you a full-grown, matured adult? Yeah. Because if you're 16, 17, 18, you're not coming close to your to, physical potential. To your physical potential till your late 20s, maybe even 30s, and even sometimes with like the the dynamic explosive stuff starts to starts to slow a little bit in the 30s. Uh -huh. But pure strength wise is, and if even if you look at a lot of the top end powerlifters, it's not till the late 30s. Like we keep getting really? stronger. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's. The, the physicality aspect, the dynamic stuff, you might not be as dynamic, but there, there's some trade-offs with either of those too. Yeah, it's, and it's, um, it's gonna be different for every person, oh, yeah. right? But I, I was gonna then ask you, so flipping that question 
on its head mm-hmm. where okay that's the ideal situation but if someone is listening today and the Pan Ams is two months away and they, they're doing all the jujitsu they can mm-hmm. right that they can't go to any more sessions because mm-hmm. there's not enough sessions or mm-hmm. their job whatever the case may be and they go do you know what I do want to do a little bit extra mm-hmm. to get my body physically ready mm-hmm. are there any things would you suggest they do anything different at this point in time and if so what would you say that they did yeah, do yeah um, so it's going to be something that is safe as in if you've never done snatches do not start doing snatches <laughs> i don't care how physically gifted you are that's a super complex incredibly technical lift so don't do that um i would say is where are your weaknesses is that would be the number one thing that you mm-hmm. look at if you're like um i feel gassed i'm, I'm doing jujitsu but i feel gassed it's like okay well with that is that what i would say a real safe thing to do that would be go ahead and hit the assault bike set it up what's your match what's your match time okay their match time is eight minutes so i'm going to set up eight minute 10 20 intervals on the assault bike so 10 10 seconds on 10 seconds as hard as you can go 20 seconds not completely rest but you're still going so and and the reason i like that is because i think it fairly simulates um combat sports whether it's jiu-jitsu or mma is where you're explosive and really dynamic and you have to get to a position you have to stop but you're still not resting and you're still not resting in those 20 seconds and it's the same thing as when you're in jiu-jitsu you may really fight incredibly hard for 10 usually not more than 10 seconds but to really stop a position or stop someone from advance Mm. and then you're still working there's still tension they're still moving you know, you're still keeping your grips, you're still keeping your body your, your body pressure, and then you're gonna go again. You're gonna go again for an explosive amount of time. And with that too, what I feel that does with the assault bikes is one, you can't outwork it. So the harder you push, the harder it becomes. So as you do that, then it's, I'm pushing and I'm going hard for those eight minutes. And then what I would do is do a little bit uh, less time of time off from that so then I would go really super easy after you do that so say that you're guaranteed depending on whatever organization it is five or eight minutes between each match yeah and so let's even shrink that down let's give you three minutes to recover yeah and then you go again Mm -hmm. and what I would do is I'd say look at your bracket how many matches till gold yeah you need to be able to crush it on that assault bike so it's eight matches we'll say it's eight matches at pans you have eight matches till gold well, if your goal is to shoot for gold, yeah. you need to be able to go. And so that would be something for, say that, for my, I feel like I, I, I don't have the endurance. So that's something that you could add on where it's really going to make a difference. It's not going to put you at a risk to be injured. Yeah. Um, and then, so, and then, so, but that's for if someone had, okay, I don't have enough um, cardio. If someone says I don't have enough strength, you're not gaining a ton of strength in two months. That's it's going to take a little time. Yeah. But strength capacity, we can work on a little bit. So I'm sure you've rolled with some guys that they feel like an absolute rhino or gorilla for about 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And if you can weather that storm, they've got nothing in the tank. Yeah. Because they're super strong, they're explosive, they're dynamic. But then that just after about 30 seconds then you're like all right now it's time for me to work i just weathered the storm i didn't allow my arm to be ripped off my body um 
So that person, if they're like extremely explosive and dangerous in the beginning, but as the round goes on, they're just failing, I would do something, um, and that's why I have them downstairs, is I would do something like sled pushes and pulls. Okay. Because it's continuous work. Similar kind of um, protocol as with the assault bike? I would just do continuous work. And then it would be, you, you can do different protocol with that. So if you're like, I'm super strong for 20 seconds and then I'm done, uh-huh. I would do weights that are really heavy for you, that it's really difficult to do it. And then I would try to be like, all right, I'm going on this. And and, and I mean, these are some of, the, some of the things that I do if I'm preparing for a tournament as well. Mm-hmm. And so like on the sled, the pull and push, I'll do something that is very difficult for me to pull and push. I'm doing a seven or eight minute round with it. And I'm going to yeah. try not to stop the whole time. And by the end of that, one round of that, if you're not used to it. Yeah. And it feels like everything in your body just wants to die. But mm. in a couple weeks, you do that a couple times in a week, two or three weeks. You don't want to be doing it right up to when you want to be fully recovered whenever you're competing. When, when would you start tapering off? Um, I... I tend to I tend to do it a little quicker than most people. Okay. A lot of people will do it a few days out. I'd say you want to do a minimum of 48 to 72 hours out where you're not pushing super hard with stuff that you're not used to. Yeah. Now, if you're doing jiu-jitsu all the time and you recover super well from jiu-jitsu, go ahead, train hard up to it, but train safe, yeah. and you're going to be fine. If you're, as you said, you're jumping in two months out and you haven't been lifting, stop lifting a week out. Like... Just, I, 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 because mm-hmm. if you're not used to it, your body's not used to recovering from that load, your system's not, stuff's gonna be off that week leading up, go back to what you know, yeah. which is training, and your body recovers well from that. You know if you've competed a lot, and you've trained a lot, you know what you need to, you, you know what you need to, to relax or to recover if you're mm-hmm. just training. But if you have the weightlifting on top of that and you're not used to it or the weight training, you're you might throw yourself off. And you'd rather I would rather have someone be full go come the pans than to be <laughs> than to be like, oh man, like I have no drive from my legs. They're still dead and I stopped lifting four days ago. So when you said when you said earlier about, you know, it's hard to overtrain if you do things right. Mm-hmm. But overtraining is real, right? And it can it can stop you getting. What's the saying? Overtraining, undertraining stops you getting to the finish line. Overtraining mm-hmm. stops you getting to the start line. Yeah. And so with that is that's also where if you are training jujitsu all the time, your body's not used to training with weights, but you attack weights the same way you do jujitsu, you're setting yourself up for an injury or a yeah. possible injury because yeah. you are in shape enough to push it really hard in the gym. Mm your body has not and your tissue has not done the adaptation that it needs to to handle that weight ideally or to strengthen in a way that you may be putting too much stress on your tissue that it can't recover enough to where when you do something as simple as say you're going to do a suicide rainbow sweep because this actually happened to me and um, (laughs) you're diving under and you're pushing your foot up on somebody that's usually no weight at all and then there goes your VMO. You just tore it partially. And the background wow. behind that is I know what I should do, but I often don't do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm much better at it now. I'm, I'm, but um, so I did, so I surfed in the morning 
and I wasn't doing this. This wasn't my normal routine. This was extra. I surfed in the morning. Then I went and lifted really heavy. So I, I, I think my top set on squat that day was 500 pounds. And I did a lot of legs, so they were very tired. And then I went to jujitsu in the evening. And as I was going to jujitsu, I was like, I'll just roll really light. I'm just going to play guard. I'm not. Well, then people were getting ready for a tournament and they were doing takedowns. And I was like, well, I'm a lot better than most of the guys at my gym at takedowns. So I'm going to, I'll get in there, but I'll just, I'll just defend takedowns. Because you know, I'm pretty good at defending takedowns. Well, that got boring. And then the, the opportunity showed itself. So I'm diving in, putting a foot on the hip. And as soon as I lift the guy up over my head, I just feel a zing. And I partially tore my VMO, you know, all bruised up, bloody. Um, but I recovered pretty quickly. I, I, I know a guy as in myself that knows how to recover pretty fast. So it wasn't something that held me out indefinitely. I mean, I was still rolling. I just wasn't using that leg for the next few weeks. But that's just a case of I was surfing, I was lifting, and I was doing jujitsu regularly. I wasn't doing all of them together hard on a regular basis. So my body was not ready for that. Something that would normally never hurt me was this was bad analogy, but the straw that broke the camel's back, it was yep. one piece too much. Mm -hmm. And that's where you'll have guys that, you know, they'll strain a bicep or a pec or pull a hamstring, doing something simple in the gym. And if you've trained with enough guys that are training really hard and then they're jumping into the gym right away, you've probably seen that quite a bit. Or something weird like they'll like they'll they'll hurt their ribs or their clavicle or something, but it's usually because they've just stressed their body too much in too short of a time without giving it a chance to recover and the tissue hasn't had that time to adapt. I'm very excited to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by the Mallorca BJJ Yoga Festival. If you listen to one of our recent episodes with uh, Mr. Joe Nordebaer, uh, who is a black belt instructor um, under the Hodge Gracie team and runs and, and teaches jiu-jitsu at his academy in Mallorca. He talked at length about a really exciting festival that he's got coming up in October of this year, the Mallorca BJJ Yoga, Yoga Festival. So obviously it's a mix of jiu-jitsu, it's a mix of yoga, and it's going to be for one week in, in October on the island of Mallorca, which is in the Mediterranean. If you've never been to Mallorca, it's an incredibly beautiful island, um, really idyllic, ama amazing clear blue water, amazing food, amazing culture, and the weather in October is going to be absolutely perfect. So depending on where you live, if you need to escape the winter blues and get a dose of vitamin D, I've been to the island myself, spent time with Joe there, it's a fantastic place, he's a fantastic guy. But, uh, you know, more than that, you're going to get some incredible jujitsu instruction there. The confirmed people so far, and these are only the ones that Joe's, Joe has announced, uh, Mauricio Gomez. Um, not every, Most of you will know who Mauricio is, but those of you who don't, that's Hodger Gracie's father. Um, so to learn jujitsu from one a person who in his own right was an incredible competitor back in his day you should listen to some of the stories but also would have been a key influence in the success of who is in my opinion the greatest jiu-jitsu fighter of all time that's a person you absolutely want to, to learn from um done a few lessons with him and myself in the past and can absolutely vouch for the quality of the instruction you'll get there also ross nichols 
you know, one of the the most prominent uh, BJJ black belts in the UK. Ross was on the on the show a couple of weeks ago, and also you've got Daniel Strauss, aka the Raspberry Ape, uh, and that both Ross and Daniel, both Hodger Gracie black belts, both prominent uh, competitors in the UK scene. And Daniel Strauss, obviously very unique in his approach to strength and conditioning as well. So, and those are just the three people that Joe's announced. Um, and on, so there'll be there'll be jujitsu every day. There'll be yoga every day. You can mix and match between between them both. And it, it knowing Joe, the setup is going to be brilliant. There's going to be amazing food there at this hotel. You know these. This guy knows how to, how to you know put on put on a good show, and what's even more exciting is that he's given me a discount code that I can give to you, that you can use to get ten percent off your booking plus fifty euros as a credit to spend at the hotel. So if you bought a room for two people, you'll get ten percent off, plus you will get a hundred euros to spend at the hotel. So that's a pretty good deal if you ask me. That uh, code is early griff. 50. I'll put it in the show description below so you, you, know, you, you can work past my accent. And the other really good thing about um, the way Joe has set this up is that it's only 250 euros to reserve a place. So if you haven't got all the money now, you can reserve your spot and you can actually get a refund up until the 2nd, the 2nd of August. So you can put your money down now because there's only 300 places, guys. 300 places and you know, with, with how big jiu-jitsu is in Europe at the moment, those are going to go quickly. So I've, if I was you, I would really, I would snap up the opportunity and get on top of that as quickly as you can. And if you're having an hour and just reserve your space and you've got up until, I believe it's August the 2nd to get a refund. So I'm going to put an, a bit of information in the show description with the the, the, the discount code, uh, the at MBJJ Yoga Fest, the Instagram handle and also the website where you can go and book. Um, but you know, at the very least, guys, get onto Instagram, follow those guys, and find out what's going on. But I would highly recommend going to the festival in in, in Mallorca, train BJJ for a week, do some yoga, have a have a damn good time, and you know, fingers crossed, maybe I can make it out there from California as well. But with that, guys, let's get on with the show. Would you say it's always better when you're bringing in additional training, regardless of what it is? To err on the side of caution in terms of the volume and intensity and build up to it over time depending on the goal okay so i mean it's it's nice to you know it's nice to say that but if you're like i'm winning pans this year yeah okay and you have x amount of time to get everything done and you're not in the greatest shape and it's not a ton of time you're gonna have to push and push on the side of danger if the time frame is too small. Yeah. And it's the same thing with guys, say they're in their professional sports season. Okay. And they're in the middle of the season or they're pushing for the playoffs and they're a key person and they're injured or they or, or they're coming back from an injury and they have to push it a little bit. Because if they're not back in there, they either don't win or they don't get paid or whatever mm. whatever it is, is some in a perfect situation, yes. Always error on the side of on the side of safety and caution yeah and and then progressively build if one week you feel great then you add a little bit more the next week and then you and again we said if it was perfect and we had two years it would be great but that's not always the case yeah yeah i i suppose at least in that situation it's a calculated risk at least yes at least least know the risks going into it yeah like i mean because because if someone Mm. or a coach or whoever or a trainer is telling you 
yeah, this is what you need to do if you want to get in shape to win pans. But the person doesn't know that, yeah, it's going to be pushing myself a little bit too hard, or I may have a chance of injuring myself. If the person knows, if you know, if I know, if we know that, okay, I know what it's going to take for me to really compete this year in pans, and I kind of let stuff slide, and it's I'm a little, I'm three to four months behind where I think I should be, mm. then you're going to really need to push it. And then, yeah, you're going to have a higher chance of injury. because. Yeah. But again, it's because you didn't have that preparation beforehand to allow you to do it in the ideal manner. Would you t- tell people to double down on the mobility work, the contrast work you were talking about to try and help that recovery process? I would. Um, I, I, you know, if if they have the means and the ability is yeah i would get more tissue work i would make sure my foods of higher quality i'd have everything dialed in perfectly with you better be sleeping enough you better be eating perfectly you better be um, doing tissue work mobility work um anything that you know helps your body feel better you have to do that like there's i mean i'm you don't have to but if you want the results (laughs) and you want to stay away from injury that's the best that's the best way to do it yeah so all all the good stuff that you talked about earlier um changing changing tack slightly i do want to talk about the i'll I'll save that question um till later on but more let's say we're talking about a jujitsu athlete here and we're not talking about the pan ams and someone who's just come into you um, as a client or just from your experience chain, training jiu-jitsu or the people that you train with mm-hmm. and they, they just train jiu-jitsu and they, they just want to look after their bodies a little better are there typical themes and typical problems that you see um, in jiu-jitsu athletes and then you know typical solutions I'm trying to think of yeah, yeah, yeah. good takeaways no for definitely so um, issues that I see with a lot of people is in when playing guard um, a lot of times there's a bad seated posture. Okay. So if someone is in like a seated guard yeah. with an arm out or to the side and going to try and get grip the collar and playing in that position, um, which is a fun guard, um, but a lot of times they'll be slouched out on that shoulder that's set down. So the shoulder, so what you're doing here, your, your shoulder is hunched towards yeah, the ear. Yeah, towards the ear. The shoulder's rolled forward slightly. And it's just because that's when you go and relax Mm. that's a position where your body just will go and like kind of slump and relax into and you're kind of just waiting to go but loading that position over and over again is Mm. going to start to cause like oh my shoulder on that side hurts or my elbow or my low back Mm -hmm. um so it's just i would say positional awareness prior to the engagement in jujitsu or how you're sitting if you're playing guard Mm. or um your position that you stand in when you're getting ready for takedowns or different things like that is you want to move through your hips and your hip hinge and bending the knees. So say if you're going for takedowns mm. rather than, uh, and because it'll make it more efficient takedown as well, yep. rather than what you see a ton of guys do, they kind of like round their backs and they hunch over uh-huh. and they get low through getting in a bad position which is not only going to make their takedowns worse, but it's just going to load their body incorrectly. So yeah. I think it's about understanding what good body position is and then making sure or just trying to, mm-hmm. when you're practicing, when you're drilling, when you're setting up for takedowns or pulling guard or whatever you're doing, that you're, when you're drilling, your 
not drilling lazily. You're keeping good posture. You're yeah. being aware of the position. So that would be that would be the main takeaway from we're seeing with a lot of people because from high level guys to guys that are just starting. Yeah. Just showing them. I mean, by no means. You know, I I understand jujitsu and I understand the human body a lot better. So even seeing how some black belts might be sitting if they're sitting and pulling guard all the time or something like that and they've got a shoulder problem, it's like, well, look at your posture. And then as soon as they f- fix that, not only do they feel better, but they're like, oh, man, my sweeps have been, you know, they feel easier. So it's it's yeah. the same thing as you put the body in the right position, it'll perform better, it's going to have less chance of injury. So mm-hmm. just being aware of not rounding in and staying in good posture while you're in whatever position is your go-to yeah and posture we go down we can go down an alleyway of posture i think it would be a really good one so what but what you're saying is and earlier when we talked about the core activation and the breathing that it's it's very hard to think about that when someone's choking you yeah and it's going to be very very hard to think about ideal shoulder position when you're about to do a sweep in live training but mm-hmm. you're saying do when you're drilling when drilling. you're practicing yeah. doing the warm-up that's the time to start thinking about okay where is my shoulder where are my yeah. shoulder blades etc as one example and and yeah live you're not going to really be thinking about it yeah but i mean from my experience people aren't getting really really good at jujitsu from just training live it's yeah. the drilling yeah and do you try to drill the move half-assed or are you trying to do it perfect yeah and now a lot of people are doing the drilling and just kind of going through it and going through the motions but why yeah do you want to be good at it or do you want to be bad at it so if you're focusing on doing the technique perfectly that's a perfect time to be focusing on is my body in the right position is it the right posture and if it's not or you are having trouble with it Mm. that's when either your coach or your professor or going to someone like yourself that's working with strength training or someone with me that's doing movement and you're doing the movement stuff as well is figuring out hey like my shoulder hurts all the time when i'm doing this Mm. well okay let's let's get down let's check your drill okay well doing this every time you press someone off you need to stay here or here you know, so you, having the shoulder in a stable position, position yeah. when you're pressing someone away, and and as well as so, just just reach your arm out in in that bad position for me. So just so right now, I'm having him reach his arm out, and I'll go even farther. So even extend. Let's do my right arm. Okay. I've, injured, I've injured my left elbow. Okay. Well, so we extend. So we're extending there, and so say yeah. you were trying to press on me. Yeah. In that position, now pull me back. I feel like no, I can't. You you have zero strength. Now yeah. lock that shoulder in. Okay. So you're pressing me. Yeah. But now I'm going to attack the arm. Now go, like. You immediately start it's because an instant difference. Instant difference because you're connected to your body. Yeah. Same thing. Go ahead and push that arm out and go in a bad position. And as I press here, you can probably feel like in the clavicle or areas the AC joint that does not feel good. Yeah. Now sink your. Sh- now go ahead and press into me. Yeah. It's it's so like and so basically yeah. I was having him really reach his arm out far where his shoulder was rolling in. And I pulled on his wrist and he had no strength to pull me back because he disconnected his body from his lats. So when you're pulling and you're disconnected from your lats, then you're trying to stabilize your arm from your neck. Mm. And it's the same, then when I had him sink his shoulder into a good position, um, he was able, he, he could have pulled me right out of my chair if he wanted to. The mm. same thing with the press, when his arm was rolled forward 
and he was overextended with his arm and trying to press me, he felt it in his AC joint. He felt it in that front part of the shoulder. That's a super problematic. I, 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 could, I literally felt like my my shoulder joint was kind of rattling around. Yeah, and and that's an area that's a huge issue for a lot of jujitsu practitioners. Mm. Is because and both the reach, the so the grabbing and the pressing just by showing people what the right position is for that can make a huge difference because not only is it going to improve their strength, but it's also going to be some of the areas, I mean, I know a lot of jiu-jitsu people that are like, my shoulders hurt. Well, if you're overreaching when you're trying to grab someone's gi, you're not only putting yourself in a bad position strength-wise, but you're also putting yourself in a compromised body position. Mm-hmm. If when you're pressing someone off of you, you're pushing too much, you're loading your shoulder incorrectly, and as you felt when you were doing the pull away, you didn't even feel like you could do it as fast. It was slow. Yeah. So if someone's jumping back for an arm bar, you're gonna have slower reaction time as well. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely speaking my language. Yeah. Um, but I was gonna I was gonna ask you. Uh, so you talked about thinking about those things when you're drilling. Are there any exercises that you would suggest people do? off the mat they could train let's stick with the shoulder yeah yeah so a lot of the um developmental movement exercises that i do that come out of um, the prog school and dns um a lot of people would watch them and be like that kind of looks like this sweep or that sweep because it is what does dns stand for um, dns is dynamic neuromuscular stabilization um and so the movements are basically set from our developmental kinesiology, so how we learn to move. Mm-hmm. And how we learn to ideally move, if you take those same pieces and put them and see the very best people at any sport and how they move and how they move efficiently, it's the same movement patterns. So these are patterns that we learned how to initially activate our shoulder stabilization muscles, how to activate our core. So when we do these, they force the muscles to activate correctly if we're doing them in the right patterns. And then by doing these over and over again, then you're retraining the body to correctly load, to correctly pull, to correctly press. So a lot of it, and a lot of it is, it activates all the muscles around your shoulders, your hips, um, and your knee joints. I think these would be a super cool set of exercises just to... Are there particular exercise names that some of the people oh, can Google? Um, or a type of exercises that they there's, can look up. These these ones are there's not a lot of stuff um, online right now with it. But like if they searched up like DNS shoulder exercises, okay. or there might be some on there. They can look at your stuff. Absolutely. They can they can look at some of my stuff, and then um, as well as I think that would be like a super good one just to show people the canister and like loading the shoulder and what good arm position is is so that's something that i think we could possibly um collaborate on for people that are watching and that come to your channel yeah um because yeah it's and i mean it's stuff that a lot of the guys at the gym see me doing to warm up and then they're like well how do you do that and they do it and they're like man that makes my hips feel amazing i'm like yeah that's why i do it (laughs) because i hate warming up i mean I know how good it is for you, but at the same time, I'm the guy that if I can escape warming up, I am a hundred percent. Oh yeah, I thought you'd be the opposite. Oh, I know how good it is for me, but at the same time, is like I would rather warm up as we're drilling and working on the technique, and then if I feel something's off, add stuff in. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I I'll I'll definitely call myself out on that one. Is if. If I can accidentally show up late and miss the warm up, I'm not. I'm not going to know. But um, 
Yeah, it's it's again, it's knowing what knowing what you need and actually implementing it as well. So I, I sometimes fall short there, so I should probably do the warm up more often. Yeah, uh, well, I think we I'd love to collaborate <laughs> and do some videos. Maybe if we've got time, we can do a real quick one just to demonstrate the example yeah, definitely. that we showed off after after this. Um, yeah, so DNS stood for again, dynamic? Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization, and it's out of the um, Prague School of Rehabilitation. Uh, Dr. Pavel Kolarz put it together, and it was developed by, the, the stuff that was put into it was originally developed by a bunch of really brilliant neurologists. And right now, if you were to ask me, I would say, the people out of the Prague school are probably anywhere from 10 to 15 years ahead with how good they are really? than everybody else. So we put it in jujitsu terms. They are red belts beyond red belts. Um, myself, I would say I'm a, I'm a competent black belt. And then a lot of my, uh, a lot of my uh, mentors are high level black belts or early red belts. But really? yeah, so that's, that's, that's where I would put um, just where their skill level is and their understanding and it's it's they they're teaching everybody else how to do it so it's it's they developed behind basically the iron curtain when the western world was all imaging 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 technology 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 mm. they were fix the body with the body yeah and i think that start and it's definitely started to catch up a lot um where we are on the west coast is it's really big here but yeah. then it's it's definitely becoming more prominent throughout um i would say the u.s and then europe as well i'm gonna be i'm gonna be looking this up I'm absolutely, <laughs> we were talking we were talking before we started and um when i met michael the first time he was advising me on you know my continued education for i i use the term physical optimization i don't like strength and conditioning it's too narrow um and i think i think that that jumps out as Oh yeah, one of the areas to look oh, yeah. into and 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 with those is the great thing is is they have clinic cl- clinical routes where you know you have to you have to have some letters behind your name but they also have the exercise courses and the exercise courses are just learning how to move and i mean any strength and conditioning coach any athlete or any person that just wants to move better doing those classes i mean you're going to come away not only moving better but understanding your body better understanding the why you're doing everything and the great thing is, is anywhere you are in the world, they're doing classes and courses. Really? Oh yeah, and then um, their website is rehabps.com. And if you're not someone that's a MDDODCPT, um, you want to check out their exercise courses. But the great thing on their website is it will have their exercise courses listed, and so they do exercise one, two, and three. And they'll have all the places in the world that they're offering them, the dates that they're doing them, and um, they're just really great people. And uh, it's definitely something that's I would say has sharpened my tools more than anything else. Well, I'm going to be looking into it. Well, one of the things I love about living here in Southern California is that pretty much any physical optimization type course it's here you, it's, it's, it's here right <laughs> you might have to drive up to la but i mean other it, that's not too bad but i mean yeah we we are definitely lucky with the pure volume and um diversity of courses of workshops of people coming out to share their knowledge and i mean some of them cost a pretty penny but it, i mean 
we don't have to travel all that much if we don't want to. I mean, a lot of the courses, a lot of the courses that I still go to or help out with or different things like that is, I mean, uh, there's people from Japan and China and Europe and the East Coast. And we just, you know, get up and drive down the road. So it's not, it's not, it's not bad for us. And the jujitsu is amazing. And the weather is amazing. So if you don't hate us already for, li- <laughs> for, li- for living where we do. It's, it's true. Like, um, and then I, I do have to say something because I actually see that he's a follower and he denied it. Um, Ezra Lennon, my rib that you ripped off my sternum back when I was training MMA um, in Missouri. It's it, it, it was you. It was not your brother, Zach. It was definitely you. I don't care if you remember it or not. You did it, but I'm not mad. It was my fault. Um, he had me in an arm bar, and my ego at the time, just freshly out of college, I was training for MMA, as I twisted and, tw- and turned myself in a position so none of the pressure was on my arm, but it was all on my ribs, yeah. and then just one. Yeah. St- still gives you problems? Um, yeah, it's it's not painful, but it's um, it makes that's the area where I have difficulty if I'm not um, actively doing it, activating my core in that area. Um, and yeah, Ezra Lennon's a pretty high level competitor. He's competed all over the place, and then I think he's I don't know if he's still there, but he used to be at Finney's MMA in St. Louis. Um, it sounds like you need a grudge match. Oh no, I don't want to roll with him. He would he would murk me. He's very good. I'm nowhere near. I'm I'm just calling him out because I did it on Instagram as well. And you know he he's a, he's a good sport about it. So that's funny, man. Yeah, rib rib, rib injuries, man. There are rib injuries are, are a bitch. Absolutely. I'm right. So I'm looking at the time. I've got about five or maybe a bit more than five minutes to wrap up the recording because I need to get on the road. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Triple R system. Yeah, maybe we've touched on that. Yep. But whatever you th- whatever you want to get, yeah, whatever yeah. you so, think is most important to, to get across. So the Triple R system. I mean, it's it's just basically um, it's how I approach everything for like physicality, for physical improvement, for jujitsu, for business, mm-hmm. for work. Is the rebuild phase is focusing. So it's rebuild, refine, and rediscover. It's just a way to organize and systemize how I believe you should do things. Is the rebuild, is you're building the base. So if it's physically, you're learning how to breathe, activate your core, load your body correctly, and getting good at moving well. Um, The refine is where you're really trying to improve those things. So we'll stick with the physical. So we're refining, we've got the good movements, we're loading correctly, now we wanna start to strengthen that. We wanna start to strengthen moving correctly, we want to add more movements. We want to start to get dynamic and explosive with it so that we're really good at resisting outside forces, whether it's somebody trying to strangle us or we're dropping in on a wave, we can maintain good body positions. That's where we're really adding weights and loads and trying to become really strong. And then the rediscover is your if your base is good and you've really strengthened good movements, then you start to notice, and we'll go with the athletic part again, is you start to notice, well, my shoulder actually really doesn't hurt. Mm. My back doesn't hurt, my knee doesn't hurt. I think I can take a run at, really take a good run at Worlds or Pans or Masters mm-hmm. or whatever you're planning on doing physically. And that rediscovers, rediscovering where your true potential is. So it's giving people the tools to understand that we're not broken, we can get stronger, we can improve wherever you are in life, that you can, if you do the right things and you do the base first, then you strengthen those good movements, then you'll really be able to see, oh, I can do a lot more than I thought I could do, or I can perform a lot better than I did. So it's it's pretty simple, but it's it's just it's just going with the sequence. 
Same thing is, if you're a white belt that just gets given your black belt on week three, you might have a black belt around your waist, but it's, it's not going to be a good time for you every time you roll. <laughs> so it's the same thing as a lot of people have the physicality. Like, I mean, nothing's stopping someone besides, you know, not being an idiot of tying a black belt around their waist. And there's been and people happens. and it happens, um, but it ends up not being a good time for them. It's the same thing as I've never lifted before. I kind of feel like I've got a dodgy knee. My back's stiff all the time. I'm just going to start deadlifting and squatting as heavy as I can three times a week. Yeah. It's not going to be good for you sooner or later. So, I mean, that's the thing is just understanding there's a sequence um, Mm -hmm. and having someone show you what the sequence is in jujitsu. That's your coaches. That's your professors. That's, you know, it's, it's the same thing. And it's the same thing in business. Um, You can have a fairly successful business, but if the foundation of your business isn't correct, eventually it's going to all come crumbling down. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a house. If your foundation of your house is not good, I don't care what finishes you put on it, and we'll go back to jujitsu again, or how good your um, is it the Amari roll or um, or the Gambi roll where I, you come upside, I, you, you go upside down and enter for the heel hook. I just call it the Barambolo. Okay, Barambolo, but. <laughs> Where, where you're doing the front spin and going into a heel hook. I don't even think Barambolo is the right term, but apparently... <laughs> the Gamby roll. I think that's the right one. So if your Gamby roll is really smooth and good and you can get to a heel hook, but if that doesn't work and you have no idea how to do guard retention or anything else, well, you're a one-trick pony. You might get some people with that, but mm-hmm. eventually everybody's going to know you're going to do the Gamby roll and they're going to approach you scooting on their butt and they're going to shut down your game. Yeah. So it's building the foundation, understanding what you need to be successful in the long run, and then doing the work. And having grace with yourself to understand that anything great takes time. Like, you can put in a ton of work, but you're still gonna take time, and there's other people that have put in a ton of work, and if they've done it correctly and you're doing it incorrectly, eventually, even if you're more naturally gifted, they're gonna surpass you. Yeah. So that's that's quick and easy, dirty, triple R system, and yeah. Thank you. If, if people wanna, get in touch they want to find you they want to learn more about you where should they go so an easy way to get in touch with me and that i respond really quickly to right now usually is um is instagram which is enlightened savage 101 um and then also um, my website is under construction but enlightened savage 101.com you can go ahead if you go there and it's not completely up yet you can always just leave your um, email information and as things come up I'll start shooting them to people. Um, I'm gonna be creating a lot of videos going over all the different things that we talked about today, a lot of the movement preps, different things like that, that all that stuff's gonna be free. I'm gonna get it up on YouTube as quickly as I can. Um, Cause yeah, I just wanna help people thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And if they're in Southern California, your facility if is in? Yep, if they're in Southern California, I am in Carlsbad. Um, and I'm not going to give you where I'm at because you got to do a little bit of work for that because I don't want everybody just stopping by. <laughs> okay, fair well, enough. no, and 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 it's 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 nothing negative. It's just a lot of people, you know, they get that excited. Oh, this this is good. This is what I need. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to do it. Well, when someone actually has to put in a little work and contact and let you yeah. know, then it also it gives me the time to really see if they're actually interested, what they're wanting, what they're needing, and if it's a good fit as well. And so, yeah, got but it. yeah, I'm in Carlsbad. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's on the beach right like, right, right, right next to the beach i'm in a we're in a hut right now drinking uh out of coconuts so it's it's a good time we're about to go surfing yeah. um i wish i, I do need to surf <laughs> and i know you surf you have, to, you have to teach me at one point um michael thank you so much this has been an absolute pleasure um guys i i've learned a lot from michael continue to learn a lot from him um so you know i'll put links to enlightened savage 101 and all the details in in the show description uh absolutely i'd encourage you to you know this guy absolutely knows what he's talking about so get on follow his stuff um and with that guys thank you very much we'll close the show out all right thanks for having me